Welcome to For the Love of Pod, a podcast about faith, community, and learning from one another about how we find meaning. I'm your host, Erin Phelps, a Master's of Divinity student at Louisville Seminary. This podcast started as a project for my worship community and pedagogy class. It is designed to be a fun, open way to hear about folks in their past and current faith life. Most importantly, each of my guests will teach me about something that's important and meaningful to them. Without further ado, let's get started. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to For the Love of Pod. This has been such a fun podcast activity because it's a whole big week of recordings for me, getting to talk with all of my friends. And today I have my friend John with me. Hello, John. Hello. I am ecstatic to be here. I am ecstatic to have you here. Uh, You are also, uh, I realized when I got the lineup together, our only gentleman. Uh, so I'm really glad you're here Uh, also just you know like you get to be I guess my equivalent of a little bit of diversity in that sense Um, uh, but yeah so John um, feel free to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself just as a person Uh, the most important thing about me is that I love video nice any favorites you're loving um (laughs) um yeah, well, there was just a World of Warcraft expansion, which is like a very millennial-only game to be playing. Um, so I've been enjoying that. Very excited about Cyberpunk 2077 coming out next week, made by the oh, Witcher nice. people. So that's thrilling. Very exciting. Um, but other than video mm-hmm. games, I uh, <laughs> I am a, um, a yeah very millennial um, pastor um, and therapist um as two separate things Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's an important distinction to me (laughs) um and yeah i live here in louisville kentucky Mm, yes yeah also you have a very cool dog um oh yes can i talk about my dog okay we have a my husband and i have a bergamasco sheep dog um which is an Italian breed that's been in the U.S. for a couple decades now. Uh, we're obsessed with him. His name is Chelo. Uh, we call him Che. He just turned a year old. And his hair, I don't, we haven't talked about this, has started to flock, which is when it, it makes these like felt-like woolly panels all over his body that we have to like organize <laughs> into nice-looking mats, basically. Um, and then eventually he'll fully look um, a mess. And we're very excited for that <laughs> That's journey. That's really cool. It's the right kind of mess. Is it yeah. um, exhausting <laughs> or like fun and meditative to make sure his hair is doing the right thing? It's fun and meditative. Right now we're getting him used to it because you actually kind of tear um, the flock because they're, they're like beneath, they have three different kinds of hair. <laughs> And it's on on the kind of undercoat layer coming in. And so you kind of tear them a little bit to keep them organized. Otherwise, they come in like flat panels that are too long and can pull the skin. And so it's right now it's about him getting used to like, why are you doing this to me? (laughs) Um, But he loves to be touched. So 
it, it's oh, working wow. out well. It's a, yeah. Oh, I love him so I much. I have not <laughs> even had a chance because of COVID to meet your beautiful dog in person, but I, I love it every time he pops oh. up on my social media. Um, <laughs> well, this is also, we're going to go into, thank you for that snapshot, by the way. Uh, we're going to go into what I call podcast consent corner. This is the wonderful uh section where I get to sort of dot the I's and cross the T's, make sure that everyone is uh, on the up and up, ethically speaking. So John, if you are here of your own free will, you have been informed ahead of time of the content of this project, and you know you're free to refuse to discuss something at any time, will you please say, I consent? I consent, and I want to say I listen to a lot of podcasts, and maybe not the right ones, because this is a totally new experience to me. And I think it's incredible. Well, I'm so glad. It's one of those funny things where most podcasts, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's something a little bit less professional than a lot of what's out there. But I especially want Podcast Consent Corner because um, this is also technically for a school project. So, yeah. <laughs> no, I, lo- I think it's incredible. I well, love it. I well, love it. Um, now we're going to do a couple rounds of what we call Think Fast. It's just a way to kind of like enjoy hypothetical questions. I have at least two lined up for you. One of them, I will tell the listeners, may not, you may not listeners have an opinion, but I bet John will, which is he mentioned listening to podcasts. And so I have an either or question, just respond with what your gut inclination is. If you had to pick Las Culturistas or Who Weekly? Las Culturistas. Wow, you surprised me a bit with that because you are... To, to let folks know, both of these are very fun kind of culture-y podcasts. <laughs> I listen to Las Culturistas, and I popped in on Who Weekly, which I know John loves, but, um, but I feel like there's a great amount of knowledge that you need to absorb over time with that one about celebrities, <laughs> so I, but I, I really wasn't sure, but I'm with Las Culturistas, too, so. Yeah, I, I listen to every episode of both but Las Culturista, like Wednesday mornings feel essential to me when it comes to that. I mean, I adore Las mm-hmm. Culturistas. Yeah, yeah, they're awesome. Um, yeah, Wednesdays also, that's usually I end up making dinner and listening to them. And it's just like, oh, hang it out with my friends. Oh. Well, the other <laughs> one that I have is sort of like a Las Culturistas bit where they say, is someone an actor or actress or a star? And so it's. That's a weird one to do either way. Um, But along those lines, I thought, okay, John, would you rather, if you were famous for something, would you rather be a famous actor or a famous singer? Actor. That feels right to me. That feels right. Yeah. (laughs) I think I would rather be a famous actor, too, because I think singing comes with a lot. Like, you have to be the one who's also driving the creative output. And actors, like, you choose your projects, but it doesn't all rest on you and your sensibilities. Yeah, with, like, studio albums, so much, like, the actual, you know, few weeks you're in the studio is collaborative. And then it seems to get really focused on the singer. And I like that you can be a very successful actor and not engage in, like, celebrity, Mm -hmm. which I think is what I would, I have learned like as you know I barely have a social media presence (laughs) like I yeah I I would love to be like 
really this is ego driven really well respected and in the shadows and then when you do say anything everyone's like john just said something important um it makes me think of like like a you would have a keanu reeves style fame you know like very personable very beloved doesn't have to be external to be valuable do you know that he's a huge part of cyberpunk 2070 coming out next week (laughs) Oh, you know, I think I've seen the promos a little bit on Hulu, but I didn't mean to make that connection. But your gamer heart's yeah. over there, and I appreciate that. Um, well, so that was our Think Fast. Um, any listeners out there can tell this is how John and I relate constantly, is with trading references of things we adore. Um, and I love that. That's great. Well, um, so now to the, the sort of heart of this podcast, John. Can you give the listeners a brief snapshot of your faith? Oh, goodness. Is this my faith? Do you mean my history, my current faith? Whatever you want it to be. Um, like you, Lots of people have done a mix, but if you just want to talk about where you are or weigh it more on where you've come from, whatever, whatever you think is really pertinent to what you'd like to share. Well, it's all a journey. So let's start at the very beginning. No, um, I, yeah, so I was, I was raised Presbyterian and I'm kind of boring and then I am a PCUSA pastor. <laughs> so, um, but I was also kind of raised half Southern Baptist. I mean, that was my like social community mm-hmm. and a member of my family's congregation and that's the youth group I was most involved in and the mission trips I did and so it was this very kind of hybrid very evangelical fundamentalist on the one hand and then very kind of moderate centrist Presbyterian church in Texas on the other you know Mm -hmm. so definitely didn't know like truly progressive churches existed um, (laughs) until college and I went to a PCUSA college and then I've been to two PCUSA seminaries, so I'm like really Presbyterian, but I think what that means for me has shifted radically. Um, And it's still, I mean, it's very much my home base, but as you know, (laughs) I um, attend now, I was, well, I was the pastor of a church um, for three years until recently when I went full-time as a therapist. Um, And I attend the Highland Baptist Church here in Louisville uh, where my husband is a deacon. And so, and it's very interesting to me the way that denominations function in the 21st century, mm-hmm. given that they were really formed around things that I'm going to go out on a limb and say mostly theologically educated people care about, but people in the pews aren't really worried about like what was the friction, you know four or five hundred years ago that brought about these different (laughs) theological traditions um and so i feel like i have so much more in common with progressive christians generally than i do you know a fundamentalist presbyterian of which there are many but like we i'm much more comfortable and kind of feel like i share the same language when i'm in just progressive christian circles generally and like little John, you know, when he was 22 in seminary doing my master of divinity, 
would be scandalized by this because I just thought the reform tradition was the bee's knees and like the best and was really like a Presbyterian supremacist, um, which I've repented <laughs> of. Um, <laughs> and now I'm much more into the metaphor of all of it. Um, yeah. That's an that's, awesome snapshot. Does that give you a sense? <laughs> well, and you've established some things that the handful of people I've talked to um, and just other people I know who are in the same boat have expressed about it's it's good and healthy for things to change, even if you are yeah. still, you know, the through line in your life is the same denomination, but that doesn't mean your relationship mm-hmm. to it hasn't shifted a little. I think that's really beautiful. Yeah, and I still love, I mean, I have loved being Presbyterian and moving. I've been been able to be a part of some important kind of co- coalition advocacy work over the years, especially around um, marriage equality in the PCUSA. And like, that was an incredible experience. And to be able to see how the institutions shift and change is incredible, but that's very different from my like personal faith. Um, for sure. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, I, uh, you would have loved also with your Presbyterian stuff that I went on a mini John Calvin rant in my systematics class the other day. <laughs> so it was, it was a time, you know, it's, it gets down to all of those like intricacies of why you end up where you do. And, and like you said, those historical questions and how much they do or do not affect you. Um, well, uh, I super appreciate that. And I to clarify, too, you said you are a pastor, but you're just not currently serving in that role in a church, right? Right. So I guess technically I'm a minister of word and sacrament or a teaching elder in the Presbyterian Church USA. Um, but I'm what we would call at large mm-hmm. <laughs> right now um, because I'm not... Um, actively serving a congregation um well uh now that we know a little bit about you and your background we are going to get into some sensory questions so as i've mentioned this is Mm. for worship community and pedagogy and these ideas of different ways we know or understand what we're taught or our faith are really significant um and this has turned into one of my favorite questions to hear about uh people answering so my first one is, is there a smell or a taste that reminds you of your faith tradition? And again, this could be from your past or present. Mm-hmm. I was shocked when I knew that this question would be coming because I immediately had a answer that came out of nowhere to me, which was the smell of the bulletin oh. as a child. And I, and I was like, oh, why wasn't it like grape juice and bread, which I of course thought of later, Um, but it's the bulletin and then the feel of the bulletin, but like even the smell. um, And I think it was everything from like, oh, I love when I was old enough um, to be, you know, at the doors with the greeters and passing out bulletins and greeting people loved that. And so like the stacks of bulletins and, and then feeling them and opening them up, <laughs> which got me to thinking about like churches that I've um, been involved with over the years and like the different styles of handling that. 
And as I say all of this, I'm like painfully aware that this is a very Presbyterian answer itself, like that it's all about the words um, that are captured in this bulletin. Um, but I love it. And there's a lot of diversity mm-hmm. in bulletins and worship. <laughs> Thickness of paper, size of paper. Do we do inserts? Is there just one, you know, um, eight and a half by 11 that's folded or, or is it a packet? Um, oh, yeah. Love, I know love you were talking about that's how Presbyterian is. this is, and it is. But it's so lovely to hear you talk about it because you like just hearing your words about it can feel how tangible it is. And even in my mind, not just the smell of like, I wonder what those bulletins of John's life have smelled like. But, you know, because I I joked on my first episode with my friend about churches smelling like pages, right, to me. Like they smell, they just smell (laughs) like pages. There are all these volumes. But also imagine you as you know a young person handing them out i i would think about like oh there's the contact that comes with that there's a, almost mm-hmm. an auditory aspect too to like the sound of the papers moving against papers there's oh, something yeah. really like lovely and meditative now that you've brought that up to think about too for sure um yeah it's such a tactile experience and it's kind of ground i mean it's kind of a therapeutic angle also I guess is that it's like there's something grounding about it like that you have it in your hands and the familiarity of that from week to week um and then knowing oh my gosh and I remember like if you had a friend join you like being able to show them where they were in the bulletin (laughs) it's like a rite of passage like a kind of being able to have bulletin literacy just like him you know hymnody literacy and um yeah. Well, if yeah. you ever need some sort of new vocation, I just imagine you like teaching some course on bulletin literacy. What a beautiful phrase. <laughs> like here, there are the many ways uh, to read the sacred text, you know? Um, and, okay, so I feel like we're dwelling on this a lot, but you keep bringing up so many other things too. And I just want to respond that when we were church shopping um, and in search of something different, uh, we checked out a couple of Episcopal churches, and that's actually the tradition my parents mm-hmm. are currently hanging out in. Um, I shouldn't say incredible bulletin. Well, incredible. Yes, <laughs> yes, it truly is a whole new level of like bulletin literature. <laughs> but there were I went to two in town. One of them deeply accessible because they would copy the Book of Common Prayer texts or yes. um, at least part of the scripture. And another one I went to, and again, like, this is not a time to name and shame. So, you know, no, no one's, uh, you know, on blast here. But uh, the church was lovely and very nice, but it was also a smaller congregation. So we stood out right away. And so then in addition to that, Hmm. the bulletin, it was a guide of how to use like three different books in front of us it was like go to book of common prayer page this this hymnal for one thing and this hymnal for another thing and so the flipping of full-size pages Mm -hmm. back and forth with the books was it was a lot and so it sounds very to people who don't do churchy things who might drop in on this podcast welcome love that you're here but it this is something that sounds very like, I guess, but the more you're bringing this up, the more I'm thinking about 
the bulletins as an accessible piece of worship in a way I never have. So I'm so glad you brought that up. Yes, I can I name um, and celebrate an Episcopal congregation for their bulletin work. (laughs) Um, When I lived in New York, there's this amazing congregation called Church of the Village. Wait, no. St. Luke in the Fields. I just confused two ch- churches. Um, St. Luke in the Fields, um, which is an Episcopal church in the West Village. Um, and I went there every year. I joined the tradition um, of a coworker who always went for the Easter vigil. And, um, or the, we would also go um, to the Christmas Eve service. And the most incredible bulletin work, they did what you were describing where they, would really kind of recreate um oh what did you call it not the book of common worship that's my book language of common what prayer. Is their... very close book of common prayer thank you um they would essentially recreate it in full and so it was so i mean it was thick it was like <laughs> page after page but it was all there and there was none of this frantic shuffling you just got to follow along, like every word was there. Um, and I love even in less kind of liturgical traditions, when people use the bulletin to provide context and increase accessibility so that there's like, you know, italicized text under something that explains what this is or explains, um, I love, for instance, if communion is, you know, by intinction or something um, where you're gonna, everybody's gonna get up and walk forward where it explains that so that people can read it in their own time and kind of have context for things. There's a lot you can do with bulletins. It doesn't have to be like a precious thing. You can give people a lot of information. Well, uh, stay tuned everyone because John and I will be uh, starting a, an entire bulletin podcast uh, results forthcoming um, because I feel like we could talk about this for a long time. <laughs> There's so much there. I'm so I'm also, I'm being kind of jokey, but I'm truly grateful because you've added a dimension that's not yet been covered about this piece of the worship experience. Um, So similarly, also, are there any sounds or pieces of music that also make you feel really connected to your idea of faith? Yes. um, So the church, the the Presbyterian church that I grew up in, the pastor that was there for almost, I guess, the entirety of my childhood, um, would sing, um, we would sing the Lord's Prayer, and the pastor would always sing. I didn't think I could be a pastor for a long time, because I thought you had to be a singing Mm -hmm. pastor. It turns out that's just a very small rural church thing when you don't have a lot of choir members, and so the pastor does double duty, but I really thought that was going to, I cannot sing, and I was um assured um that you did not have to sing to be a pastor that's not true in some more liturgical traditions it turns yeah. out anyway uh, as a former um, the Catholic, point of this i've lived through various versions of sung versus chanted rites um but i i will agree <laughs> god god doesn't seem to worry too much about how perfect your singing is in my experience <laughs> um that yes which is <laughs> Thank God, or I would not have the career <laughs> that I'm Thank God, had. indeed. Um, um, but yeah, so we would sing in the Lord's Prayer, and it was, I think, kind of out of play. Like, it was a very kind of warm 
thing for a Presbyterian church. Um, and I loved it and I still do. And I don't even know, it's one that's sung in, it's a version that's sung in other churches because I've like stumbled across it um, since not being in Texas. Um, but I, it, ah, it, it is so moving to me. And I think it's what kind of functionally does for me is take something that's like memorized and wrote and can transform it into something that feels just like dialed up to 50. <laughs> um, and so by the time you get to the end of the Lord's Prayer, it's just this beautiful, like, I mean, kind of soaring, pleading for this world to be transformed. And I, it gets me every time. Um, and I think that earnestness is like, that's where, that's the through line of my faith is like desperately wanting the world to be transformed. And I think that that was something about the singing of the Lord's Prayer in childhood, like is what I think kind of, I don't know, maybe implanted some of that in me. That is absolutely gorgeous. Um, yeah, I I love hearing that. Um, because, yeah, the... I love it because also even though you did not feel like a participant in, oh, I'm going to sing this, that there was something, you know what I mean? (laughs) That there was something about it that was still able to be transformative to you as a less act. I don't want to like say you weren't active because you're part of the prayer, but you know, you're not the singer, Mm. right? And it's still something that became deeply (laughs) meaningful to you in that memory. Um, That's awesome. Totally. Um, Well, now we're getting to also part of what makes this podcast unique for my particular class, which is podcast pedagogy. So this is a chance for my guests, in this case, John, to teach me a little something that um, is about them and their faith tradition. Great. Um, I'm going to be borrowing, I think, and I'm not exactly sure from what faith tradition, but I'm going to give you some context um, for how I was taught this, um, which was within my own tradition, but I'm not sure exactly where it originates. Um, And I've never taught it um, using only audio. I like to use my hands for just about all of my (laughs) speaking, um, which can sometimes be a problem, but I'm going to do my best. So I want you to picture me... Um, which is, well, I don't me, know uh, if you know what I look like, John listener. Is a, a but... human being. Um, he often wears very <laughs> tasteful, uh, you know, sweaters or t shirts, um, so, sometimes varying degrees of facial hair. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> actually picture a guy like that. Okay, sorry, you're teaching me now. Yes. I just had to be a little silly. <laughs> no, I appreciated that. Um, so do the listeners. Uh, Okay, so I'm in seminary, first year, not out, okay, have not, I mean, and by not out, I mean not out to Mm. myself, like, but I'm in this place of "Mm, something's going on here, and maybe you need to figure it out. So I am in systematic theology one, so this is my first year, fall semester, doing my MDiv, um, and it's structured in the most traditional way possible. Um, where each week we're doing a different doctrine and we get to uh, the doctrine of sin. Um, And my professor, Dr. Cindy Rigby, 
is teaching about sin and she teaches, I remember this being um, attributed to Valerie Saving, who's a feminist theologian. Um, but this is one of those things that it stuck with me and it has had the, I mean, it has had the opportunity to transform in my memory over time. <laughs> but I remember it being Valerie Saving's work um, that, that Cindy Rigby was referencing. And so what she taught us, and this had a profound impact on me in the moment that it was taught, was that essentially sin over time had been defined exclusively by male theologians, like every other doctrine just about, um, and kind of what had been passed down in the tradition that almost exclusively male theologians had talked about sin. And so the way that they talked about it was as hubris or pride or kind of stepping out of your station as a measly human, you know, and, and kind of trying to take God's place or trying to pretend that you are God or that you know better than God. So even kind of reading the story of the, um, you know, tree of knowledge of good and evil as like um, kind of thwarting God because you think you know better. So you're going to eat that fruit. Um, and, and what she, and so that that's kind of one, actually just one end of a spectrum of sin, um, but it's the male spectrum. And that on the other end of the spectrum um, that feminist theologians kind of offered as a corrective is that sin can also be self-deprecation or self-denial. And so thinking that you are lower than you actually are or thinking that you are less than or trying to deny who God has created you to be. And as this was taught to me, like truly sitting in the room, in, my ch in the chair, in class, as soon as she said self-denial, I mean, I was like almost knocked wow. out of the chair with not even cognitively. I, I remember thinking, you know what this means to you without even saying it in my, in my head to myself. But like I knew on a visceral level and it like unlocked this idea that homosexuality, a word I hate, is sin. And that what is actually sin is denying who God has created you to be. Um, and so to close out the kind of pedagogical part, uh, when you think of the spectrum, this is, she drew it on the board. It was a, you know, a, a kind of, I guess, lateral mm -hmm. line, if, that, if mm -hmm. that's right. Um, and so on one end is, you know, kind of stereotypically masculine and it's a very binary well, not quite, but a little binary. So masculine sin being pride and then on the other end, feminine sin being kind of self-denial or self-deprecation. But in the center to be kind of without sin or be kind of aligned to God is the knowledge that you are a child of God. And so that you can kind of veer away from that knowledge in different directions, whether that's believing you're more than that or less than that but that the way to kind of be in alignment is to recognize that you're like a beautiful child of God. And so I kind of took it upon myself that year to like figure out what me living into my child of Godness would mean. And then I came out as a fabulous gay. So. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> that is absolutely incredible. Um, so in a personally in a niche way, 
uh, a lot of what you said spoke to me because I am a first year seminarian and I am in a systematic yeah. class and grappling <laughs> with the question of sin is something that I would love to ignore and by mm-hmm. virtue of the work that I do mm-hmm. cannot be ignored <laughs> um, and so yeah do you Sorry, oh, I ahead. just, um, you know, and so it was really nice in just the like intro text we were working with to realize that I kind of like you were saying about making the world better and kind of a broader redemption mm-hmm. when you were talking about the Lord's Prayer, that I am slowly becoming more aligned with or the comfort when I had to deal with this for the first time was becoming more aligned with collective sin right that original sin may not be about Mm -hmm. me the person and being born flawed or i have a really hard time with um the word brokenness for example um which Mm -hmm. i know is a great Mm -hmm. and helpful shorthand for some people but for me it's like just not theologically productive where i am and so so that's kind of where I was where it's like, it's collective. We're born into a world of bad choices and, you know, and so that's kind of how I aligned with like, fine, I guess I'll talk about sin, but your, Mm -hmm. your thing that you just taught us about this idea of a spectrum and yeah, the, the spectrum from sort of pridefulness, right. I'm going to be like God to, Oh, you know, self-denial. We are worms um is mm-hmm. truly incredible on a personal level and i can tell from your telling of it that it's it was a deeply personal moment but i'm so thankful you've shared because i bet we are not alone in being like ah this sin thing mm-hmm. huh <laughs> um and i think it's something very helpful for people who feel like what they're told to do or what they're told is right and wrong is misaligning in some way with aspects of their Mm -hmm. personhood or their core senses of right and wrong outside of that. Yes. And I think I, I love sin. Really? (laughs) And I have preached about it. Yes. I think it's one of the most helpful kind of Christian concepts because it, it allows for me, it allows me to name that something is kind of deeply wrong (laughs) in the world um, and I, I'm with you in that I think that the individualization of sin has been way overdone and has been extremely damaging, um, especially to marginalized people. Um, and so, which is why, you know, a feminist, a woman came up with this is because it's, you know, a corrective. Mm-hmm. But I think like for Jesus to have been going around talking about sin, often in the context of talking to people on the margins, I mean, I hear that as they would have been people who are like, hey, yeah, but like, as in, yes, we agree something's wrong with the world, <laughs> rather than like, oh, this means I am <laughs> terrible. And I think something weird, with a, as with a lot of Christian concepts has happened where it's become kind of a shame-based thing rather than um, kind of a way to get at that you know, we have systems um, in this world that are incredibly destructive um, and we need to be able to talk about them 
Um, yeah, so I love talking about that's things. very interesting. Maybe I'll get there by the end of seminary. I will be like <laughs> you. Um, I like talking about the fun stuff. It's really funny because it, I mean, it's clearly my personal squeamishness and not anything bad about these doctrines, but it's funny because coming from a Catholic background and working on finding mm-hmm. myself where I am, I initially and by initially I mean as recently as a month ago really would sort of like raise my hackles unnecessary even at the concept of grace because um the concept of grace is is beautiful but it's also in response Mm. to that question of something being wrong right and so I'm with you on that yeah grace has gotten weird too (laughs) I hear you. Yeah, I hear and so you. it's the kind of thing where when I didn't grow up with language around grace or when I heard the language of grace, um, I mean, even think about the very famous song of Amazing Grace is about, you know, a mm-hmm. beautiful idea, but also in the text, it reflects some level of like, I was lost. You know, there it you mm-hmm. have to deal with that sin aspect. And it's um, what I'm going to call personally at this stage, sometimes uncomfy. Um, so, uh, I want to also throw out for listeners that John and I know each other from the same kind of church spaces. So we are kind of like speaking on each other's wavelength in perhaps a different way than I have with some other guests. So if you are listening and you're like, this is not for me, I also want to say that's fine. The reason we're doing this podcast and by we, I mean, I, and John as my guest, um, is to explore well what do people find of meaning in their faith because mm-hmm. answers have run the gamut and um it can be about general ideas of connection to the divine it can be about um trying to do the right thing here and now as my atheist friend christine said um so if you're just like i don't mm. share this idea about sin that's totally cool john and i are clearly very excited to nerd out about it um, but I am deeply, deeply grateful for you sharing that. So, um, yes. <laughs> yeah. And I think if I can be a little more explicit about like where I find yes. it helpful, it's like when I think about my homophobic family, I like love thinking, yeah, they need to repent of their homophobia, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, like, or their white supremacy, like that these are things that needed to be denounced and repented of and healed from. Um, and like, that's where I find it helpful. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, it's kind of flipping it around on people. A little yes. Bit. And that's why the collective aspect that I was talking about moving toward made sense to me. Like, I have a hard time yeah. with my personal list of right and wrongs. Um, mm-hmm. But like, oh, yes. the idea that I think we can say racism is bad. <laughs> Like it's so much easier to name a collective sin like that from where I sit mm-hmm. right now. Um, that doesn't mm-hmm. discount any of the beautiful interpersonal things you're talking about, but um, I'm clearly still figuring it out. So you've given me a lot to think about and process and a lot of ways where something that, as you've said, could be really used in a harmful way against you has the potential for that redemptive property of naming all kinds of things and also being true to yourself at the core of what you were um, Mm -hmm. describing. So, yeah. And sometimes old traditions and doctrines just need to be thrown out. Like Mm -hmm. everything does not need to be reclaimed Mm -hmm. for everybody. (laughs) Like, Like it's okay if 
we never like sin. You know what I mean? Or like, like the doctrine of sin. Yeah, it's really yeah. funny. I did. I almost made a joke, but we were talking about serious things. That one thing you just said and left out there for a second was just you said, I love sin. And I thought, like, ah, if I titled <laughs> my episodes like the last culturistas do, that would be title of episode is I Love Sin with John. Um, but I knew what you meant. Front runner for title <laughs> of that. Um, so, but you had it in such a beautiful context that I would never twist your words like that. But it made me laugh to think about. Um, so, yeah. Uh, well, the last thing to, do you have anything else you want to share about that meeting too? I don't want to cut you off if there was anything you wanted to to tack on to the end of our podcast pedagogy. I cool. don't think so. I think that's, I think yeah. that does it. Um, this is the kind of fun nerdy stuff that I get to do all the time now that I'm in seminary. And so it's fun to do with <laughs> someone who's been there. Um, we like to give uh, little benedictions. I always say a corporate we, even though it's just me and my phone doing this podcast, but I like to end with benedictions. Um, And so really actually thinking about, well, what do I hope people can take away or what do I wish for people? Um, And so, um, John, I'll let you think a little bit about whether there's anything you would wish for the listeners, either to take away from the specifics or just something nice. Um, And right now, I would say my benediction, my wish to take away and my wish of something good for listeners right now um, is that I, this is so simple, but I wish for you that you find ways to stay hydrated. Um, I, I, I know it's like one of those self-care meme kinds of things, but I woke up yesterday and did I want coffee? Yes. But my body cried out and said, water, please. And I was better for listening and just drinking more water yesterday. And so um, I hope you too, when you think I need something, what is it? Consider that it might be water. Hydrate yourself. You're worth it. So, uh, John, do you have anything you want to wish for the listeners before we go? Uh, first, can I just say I'm I love your evangelism of hydration. <laughs> um, as someone who is thoroughly hydrated, like I I drink water during my sessions with clients, which for like. Some therapists like drinking or anything during a session is a no-no. Oh, love to drink water during a session. Um, yeah, so That's I appreciate awesome. that. My friend Steve in college, who was a marathon runner, used to just say, dehydration is the enemy. And honestly, I feel that. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's something I need to remind myself of. So consider this permission mm-hmm. out there. If you are less hydrated than you want to be, you have the power to do beautiful things and drink that glass of water. I love it. Okay, yours was very simple. I think mine might be a little convoluted, but I, but I mean it. (laughs) Um, I think what I wish, um, for you all, dear listeners of Aaron's, um, is I remember when I was working through letting go of some baggage around the faith that I'd been given, that I always had this sense that I needed a new like way of looking at things or a new theological concept or a new way to explain sin or a new way to justify being gay. Um, And what I wish for all of us, including myself, is being okay with who we are, even if we can't justify it theologically. Like being okay with who we are as we are without justification. 
that's what I wish for us. That is really beautiful. And it relates so gorgeously to what you taught us too. So um, not convoluted at all. Very, very giving, I would say. Yeah. Well, that's uh, it for the actual content of the podcast. John, I am so glad we could make this happen. You are a very helpful voice in this space. And yeah, without, uh, so thanks a bunch. And um, that'll wrap up this episode. So it'll drop as usual at random on my Facebook page. Feel free to keep checking Anchor FM. They show up at random. Um, Because as I keep joking, this project is due in 12 days. So (laughs) so I am knocking them out. Um, But thank you all, as always, for listening. And thanks again, John, for being here. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to For the Love of Pod. I appreciate everyone who tunes in as I teach myself how to podcast, and I am so grateful for the guests who teach me. Have a nice day!